Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and of course, Patrick Farrell, as always. This week, guys, it's our first podcast of 2022, or at least the first that we recorded in 2022. I believe we released one, but this is the first that we're recording. So happy new year. The new year is off to a fantastic start. You know, this is a good time for the fitness industry, for those of us that work in the industry, but also those that are trying to, you know, get on the path of their fitness goals. So I hope everything is going well so far. Now, one of our missions for the new year uh, at Triage is to be really clear in our communication with our listeners and our followers and those who benefit from our content. So we're making a number of changes as a result to the lines of communication that we use. One of those is our newsletter. And in our newsletter, for the purpose of 2022, what we're going to be doing is just making sure that each week you receive a brand new exclusive piece of content that is, you know, a written useful article or post. It's going to be relatively short, but it's going to be just for those who receive the newsletter, okay, or the email list or who are on the email list, I should say. It's going to be exclusive, so make sure you're subscribed. I've got all of the respective um, emails planned out for the year, and I guarantee that if you were to consume nothing else, that will be of great value to you. Okay, so that's one thing. The second thing is to make sure that you're in our free Facebook group. That's the Triage Method community. Again, we want to foster community as much as we can. So rather than just posting everything out into public social media, we want to make sure that we're building a community. So that's going to be helpful too. If you're in that group, you'll see more of us there. If not, make sure that you join it. Okay. And then the final thing is that here on the podcast, what we're going to be doing is providing more of what we always do. And that is, you know, high quality information, particularly with an emphasis on health. And that's one of the transitions that I think you'll see from our content this year is that we're going to be placing more and more of an emphasis on the relationship between health and fitness and really trying to bridge that gap between the frontline personal training and coaching type of stuff and healthcare itself, because we feel that that's an area of great interest to our listeners as we generally have cultivated a fairly health focused audience. So that's where we're going to be putting a lot of our attention and no better topic or way to start off that trend than today's topic, which Patrick will induce, introduce for us now. Yeah. So as Gary was saying, we kind of want to move towards discussing a lot more about health, right? And health is something that, you know, someone says, oh, I'm just trying to be healthy or I just eat healthily, or I'm just, you know, looking after my health. These are just, uh, this is just a term that's thrown around. And well, you might have a definition of health or Gary might have a definition of health or I might or whoever you're discussing this with might have a definition of health. Oftentimes, they don't actually overlap, right? And that might seem strange because this is something that you'd be like, well, surely it's a defined term. What does health mean? Look it up in the, the dictionary and you're like, there, that's the definition of health. But that's not really what people mean by health. Right. And well, yeah, we will dig in a little bit more into definitions in a second. Like, are we talking about uh, uh, just being disease free? Right. That's oftentimes what they used to think about health or how they used to define health. It's like you have an absence of disease or illness. Right. And you might go, yeah, that's my definition of health. That's that's what I think is healthy. Be You're not diseased. It's either on or off. It's a switch. You're either diseased, ill or your health. 
you know, you're healthy, right? It's binary, one or the other, right? Now, that might be the definition for you. For other people, it might be a certain feeling. They're like, oh, I feel healthy when I'm doing X, Y, Z. You know, I just feel good. You know, it's, I feel like health, right? Or what health should feel like for them, right? And it's a very almost vague, you know, like, this is what it is, right? And this is something that, like, I do a lot of consultations with people, we'll discuss, and we're like, okay, well, what are you looking to achieve? And they're like, I want to improve my health. And then it's like, okay, well, what does that actually mean, right? What are we actually aiming towards? And they might have some definition, they might have some markers, they might have some, you know, feeling, they're like, when I was 18, and I was doing X, Y, and Z, I felt really healthy, whatever it is, right? So it's, it, it's kind of ill-defined. And then obviously, as well, there is uh, the medicalization of this in terms of, are we just looking at specific markers, you know, blood markers, health markers, I don't know, cerebrospinal fluid markers, whatever it is, are there some sort of, you know, we'll call them diagnostic markers that we can be like, okay, once they're within this range, you are healthy. Now, the avid listener to this will understand that there's clearly, you know, shades of uh, appropriateness or correctness if you will in all of those right and and this is why it's quite hard to actually give you a definitive this is what health means right so we're going to try to take it apart during this podcast and really dive into like what are we actually talking about when we talk about health and the reason we're doing this obviously is because you know myself and gary we care about health we care about our own health we care about the health of our clients we care about the health of society overall but it is one of the, the fundamental or the foundational three pillars that we discuss with our clients, right? So we kind of have to have an idea of what we're talking about, not only in terms of being able to influence this stuff, but also in terms of defining what we're talking about. Like if you don't have a defined target, you go back and listen to that podcast we did on goal setting. Like if you don't have that, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about health you're always going to be effectively swimming upstream. You're going to do stuff that you're like, oh, I think this might improve my health, but because you don't have anything measurable, you don't have anything that's you know concrete, you're just not going to know how you're doing, what's going right, what's going wrong. You're just going to be all over the place. So we need to have some sort of working definition of this stuff. We have to have some sort of you know target for this stuff or everything's just going to be uh, a little bit all over the place, right? So- before we actually dig into this podcast, pause it here. Well, pause it after I'm done speaking, please. Um, but pause it here and just take a moment and just think, okay, what does health mean to me? What does being healthy mean to you? What are your criteria for health, right? So just take a moment, think about that. Really just kind of go, okay, well, what, what, what is that actually, like what does health define for you? And then come back to the podcast and we'll, we'll talk about our stuff. So Gary, take it away here. We're talking about health. What does health mean? Yeah, so this is a subject of great debate and has been for many years and for good reason, especially because if you look at, let's say, the last hundred years, I suppose, in particular, there's been rapid advances in medicine, in surgery, in healthcare more broadly, and in medical science in terms of our understanding of health and disease. And with that, it can often seem like we take the goalposts and kind of move them with us as to what we mean when we talk about health. And for that reason, you'll see, you know, various um, 
companies that are, you know, selling you blood tests and, you know, you hear about different markers for cancer and you hear about changing your diet and all of these different things that are very much at the forefront of the public mind, particularly those in the health space. And it can make you feel like trying to pursue health is actually something that's just an endless target, you know, that it, that it effectively doesn't exist because once you get one marker in check, then someone else says, okay, well, that health marker is in check, but what about, you know, your um, serum calcium? And then what about your unionized calcium? And then what about your magnet and all these different things? And it can be an endless pursuit if you're looking at it um, at that level, because you can always go deeper. You know, you can always go deeper beyond the level of the tissue, beyond the level of the cell to subcellular and genetic markers and all this sort of stuff that can really complicate our understanding of what it means to be healthy. And in some cases, that additional understanding um, at the molecular level, for example, can be really useful. For example, if you've got uh, um, colorectal cancer or breast cancer that has run in your family and you've got specific uh, tumor markers, for example, BRCA, that you know increases your risk of a certain type of cancer, then that is something that you wouldn't have been able to find out before. And it serves a very clear preventative role. And that's ultimately what healthcare tries to do is to pinpoint these, these molecular targets that are maybe a bit more important so that someone can get a piece of knowledge that is actually useful rather than just screening the whole thing. Okay. That was one of the things that kind of emerged in the early 2000s with the um, the mapping the genome project, where it was kind of thought at the time that once we understand the genome, you know, we'll have, you know, solved all of the problems of health, you know, we'll be able to target all these things, we'll understand all the mechanisms of disease, and we'll be done, you know, and the same thing kind of happened with mapping the, the microbiome. And there's always another kind of level, you see it now with proteomics and other areas in medicine, and all that stuff is, is really, really valuable. But sometimes people can misinterpret the importance of that stuff by assuming that if we just get access to this information about all this molecular stuff, we can fix it all. Okay. So in this podcast, what I'd like you to do is to, to, to zoom out. And some of you might need to zoom in, but a lot of people need to zoom out and, and, and look at their lives as a whole and ask themselves, what are the different parts of one's life that contribute to health? And in terms of definitions of health, which is where we're starting, you may have heard of the World Health Organization's definition of health, which is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease and infirmity. And that's there's a lot of, of stuff that's really useful in there. And, and I think the thing that probably stands out is that last part where they really emphasize and not merely the absence of disease. That's an important point because I guess some people do think of it simply as the absence of disease, you know, and, well, my blood pressure is fine. My cholesterol is fine. You know, I'm, I'm a healthy guy, you know, but you still might be suffering. You might be struggling in life. You know, you mightn't have physical, mental, and social well-being. And that's why it's important to look beyond just the absence of disease. But even this definition runs into a lot of issues. And that is... Just to interject there, like one of the things is like, again, like you said earlier on, like if you look back through history, like we basically only have medicine, like 
what we would consider medicine now since the Victorian era, right? So we're talking the 1900s, you know, where it's like, okay, we now have stuff that's really starting to look like modern medicine. Of course they had surgery before that. And of course they had different herbal remedies and different things. And, you know, some of them became medicine as well. Um, But if you're looking at health before, let's say the turn of the century, the, not the last one, the previous one, <laughs> uh, in terms of, you know, you're getting into 1900, right? So when we're really in that turn of the century, you basically got, oh, what's your definition of health? Oh, well, I didn't die of fucking diphtheria. I didn't die of tuberculosis. I didn't die of any of these diseases. Yeah, cool. I'm still going to die in my 40s, but everyone dies in their 40s, right? At this time, right? So you're at that stage where you're like, what's your definition of health? That's much different than our definition of health today because we come from a different context because we come from effectively a different culture. Like the cultural revolution that has happened since then is often just like forgotten about. It's like, oh yeah, of course, like living into your 80s, that's that's the norm. When in reality, well, at least from the industrial revolution, potentially from the agricultural revolution onwards, like living into your 80s is not the norm right? If you look around the world, it's really not the norm for societies that aren't at you know, the level that our kind of Western societies are at, right? So we have to look at that and go, okay, well, what's happening here? What, is our, what has changed in our cultural lens in terms of how we view health? Because now if I said, oh yeah, you're healthy if you didn't die of tuberculosis or you didn't get some you know, chronic pulmonary artery disease or fucking whatever, you're like, oh yeah, cool, you're healthy. Whereas you actually have psychological issues, you have, you know, I don't know, any number of things, you know, you're obese, you have whatever going on. You might be like, okay, back in the day, you were healthy as a result of, you know, just not dying. Now that's not how we view things. Yeah. And, and I think it's really interesting to question, you know, in your own head without being aware of the statistics, like what do you feel are the biggest threats to health in the modern day? You know, because often you'll find the things things can creep in that you mightn't have thought of ever before. Like, for example, one of the things that I think is, is actually a massive threat and it's something that I would think about, but more than most other things related to, to health. When I consider my definition of health are things like, you know, moral degradation, the loss of, of meaning crisis of meaning, those types of things in the modern world, where you can see that in our Western developed societies, you know, there, there's clearly been a loss of, of common shared understanding, common goals, and those types of things. And you see that in, in political division. Um, you see it even around the, the family dinner table sometimes. An example of that would be, you know, you, you've, I'm sure you've seen people sharing stories of them like disowning family members or being disowned by family members due to, I don't know, their political affiliation or due to their vaccination status or due to their perspectives on COVID and so on. And like those, that, that's, that's actually quite upsetting and is actually a lot more important than you might think. Because if you think of how that, like, firstly, that can cause a great deal of suffering if someone does not feel like they have any sort of, of meaning in life and they don't feel like they have a purpose to go forward with, or they feel maybe isolated from their family or other people because of those that lack of shared understanding that can cause a great deal of, of suffering, a lack of direction, etc. But one of that other, one of the other things that, that that can do is lead to higher, you know, risk of, of catastrophic events. If you've got a society that is heavily fractured, um, you know, a lot of political division, you obviously have increased risks then of things like violence, for example, and violence can kill in a moment, whereas diabetes will kill over the course of centuries. And that's something that's always worth considering when you're considering that lens 
of health. You know, I think that's something that's important anyway. And when you move beyond just, you know, that that understanding or, or when you move towards that level of understanding, I should say, what you begin to realize is that the World Health Organization's definition of a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being, it is... I guess, an ideal, you know, you could call it like a platonic ideal that none of us are ever going to reach, but that we strive towards, because that word complete actually makes that very, very difficult to attain. Because for me, there might be moments, but there's probably never been a day where I felt that I've complete physical, mental and social well-being, where everything is completely well, you know, there's nothing that you could improve, because there's always something, you know, you've got to worry on your mind, about work or about politics or about a family member. You've got, you know, an issue with regards to your financial stability. You've got some sort of debt, those types of things, or you've just got some knee pain, you know, all of those things take you away from that so-called complete state of well-being. And for that reason, there's been a number of challenges from, you know, uh, the, the Lancet, from the Health Council of the Netherlands, from um, Huber and colleagues in 2011, who basically proposed a definition of health being the ability to adapt and self-manage, which is interesting and is more, maybe it's, it's our, our definition that we'll come to at the end is probably somewhere between this and the World Health Organization. Because I think that the, the, the good thing about this of health being defined as the ability to adapt and self-manage is it actually puts the individual as as the agent uh, of change you know that they're they're the person who actually has the ability to affect their health even just through their attitude you know so yeah i've got knee pain but i can manage that it's, it's not a big deal i can adapt to that today you know whereas someone else they might have knee pain and they might actually be you know really suffering with that and it's significantly affecting their psychological and social well-being clearly the health effect of that symptom is far greater for that individual than it is for the individual who's well able to um, manage that, you know. So that's something that's really important to consider is, I guess, I guess it gets to the point of not just the presence of a symptom or the presence of a, an abnormality in a blood test or whatever, but also the effect that that has on the person and their entire life, which is something that's far more in line with how we would typically view health, you know, because we've got a lot of clients um who are personal trainers themselves, for example, and have a very good understanding of their health. And sometimes they'll come to us with very minor complaints saying, yeah, my shoulder was sore on the bench press this week, but you know, I made a little tweak to my technique and I just didn't perform my last set and it's all good again. That person clearly adapted to that situation. They were resilient and they self-managed. That for me is, is what health is all about you know, um, so that that for me, it makes that definition quite compelling. But, you know, we'll come back to our own definition later on. But but yeah, do you have anything to add in there, Patty? No, I think you, you kind of covered that nicely. It, like, it's a very hard discussion to have, because, again, we're kind of asking to do the role or the, do the job of a linguist, right? We're actually going like, okay, well, what does health mean? Like, we need to define it, right? But how do you actually define something that isn't definable because it is kind of the at the essence of what it means to be human like if you knew what it means to be a human you know what what it means to be a functional human you kind of have everything figured out (laughs) 
you know? Um, and while, yeah, you can be like, okay, well, what it means to be a human is this part works and this part works and this part doesn't work, but that's not always the case, you know? And uh, for example, like if you think about just even the definition of life, you might go, okay, well, life is a clear definition. You know, it's like, this is living and this is not. But then you come into these weird, like, subcategories where you're like, okay, this fits some of the criteria, right? But it doesn't fit all of the criteria. For example, you might be like, is a virus alive? You know, does this meet, meet all of the criteria of what it means to be alive, right? Like you might have a part of the criteria being like, oh, it's something that reproduces, right? And that might not be something that it does itself. Like a virus might not reproduce itself. It might need other cells like human cells, for example, to reproduce. But even if you use a definition of like, oh, it's able to reproduce, like what if you have a sterile animal or a sterile human? Does that mean that they're no longer living? You know, we it's very hard to come up with these definitions and like to be really concrete in terms of what you actually mean when it is something that's, you know, at the heart of what it means to be a human effectively, um, both life and health in this context so i think you've covered everything quite nicely there and as you as you discussed like again the if you the wikipedia page is actually really good for this i just typed in like health wikipedia you know and the wikipedia page is actually really quite good at this in terms of giving you an overview of the history of this stuff what has occurred to get us to this point you know and like oh this is what they used to think about health and this is the definitions that have changed throughout time um, and it gives you a good little overview of what has occurred and as you said like the who kind of defines health as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or disease and infirmity. And that's actually quite a good definition. Like if you look at that, you look at it subjectively, objectively, you're going, okay, that kind of does encompass a lot of what we want, right? That that's kind of good. And then you have uh, Huber et al. I believe with uh, some other people, they come up with this, um, health as the ability to adapt and self-manage, right? Now, you might look at that and read that as the, the definition and go, is that really all-encompassing? Does that really include everything that we wanted to include? It might not, right? So as Gary said, you kind of find yourself somewhere in the middle, or at least, you know, people I've had discussions with this with, or about this with, and also ourselves, we kind of find ourselves somewhere in between those two. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that kind of nicely covers everything. What I want to do now, though, is I want to do a little bit of a, a thought experiment in terms of uh, what level of analysis are we talking about health, okay? Because this is important to understand and hopefully illuminates why it's so hard to define health, but also in terms of how you could potentially be thinking about it for application stuff because obviously we're a podcast that you know talks to primarily people that are looking to influence their own health right so you don't want to just have this you know ivory tower discussion of what does health actually mean you know Huber et al and all his pals sat down and had to write a paper on that had to actually sit down and be like what does this mean let's go through the definitions let's do x y and z like that's not what you want you want to know how should this influence my life how should I change my behaviors, my attitudes, what I do, habits, etc., to influence my health positively? Okay, so let's break this down into a, like a, a level of analysis. So what level of analysis are we starting with, Gary? 
Yeah, so the first level of analysis that we could start with would be, you know, the molecular level, of course, we could start at a much lower level and start talking about quarks and even lower than that, we start talking about quantum mechanics. And, and that, that's kind of, that might seem like like just a total joke, but at the same time, you know, that that's that's kind of where it all starts. Ultimately, it's physics and we just take it all the way up. But the, the, the importance of, of, I guess, including that kind of facetious point about quantum mechanics is to realize that understanding things at a deep at a deeper level isn't necessarily always better. And sometimes the simple higher level, um, higher levels of resolution or lower levels of resolution, technically, but higher <laughs> levels of analysis, we'll higher levels of analysis um, are actually more useful. So like starting at the molecular level, like what are we talking about? Just, talking? just to interject there, like, right. I actually love quantum biochemistry. Yeah. Gary, you know this. I have loads of books on it. But when someone goes to me and goes, oh, uh, let's define health. I'm not going, oh, <laughs> quantum level analysis of why your biochemistry is out of whack. You know, that's not what I'm doing. Okay. Like, yeah, we might start at a molecular level, you know, that we'll get onto that. But even then I'm like, that's not really answering the question that we want to answer. But anyway, sorry for interrupting you. Yeah. So like if you, if you start at a molecular level, like that's often, that can be very relevant in specific diseases. Like anyone who has studied biochemistry, I think for any deal of time, even if you just done one module on it, you'll often see like these diseases that are used as, as case studies, like maple syrup urine disease is a classic one, or you'll have um, galactosemia, different types of that, lysosomal storage diseases, um, phenylketonuria, all these specific, very specific diseases that are the result of um, molecular defects, essentially. Um, and also ones that, generally speaking, they're like one gene. Yeah, just one. <laughs> one. You know, it's very simple, like one. There's not multiple things going on to affect this you know it's like oh you have this one gene mutation and that causes this and that obviously dovetails nicely in terms of as gary said you know you got the turn of the set the 2000s um and you've got this like human genome project coming online you're like okay we have this sorted you know they have this uh, this is a little bit incorrect but people have this theory of like you know it's basically one gene one protein that's how we view genetics now again that's not the case especially not now and it wasn't the case then but you know that was the general soundbite one gene one protein and that just was not the case when we had all of this stuff mapped out you know it was like okay there's lots of stuff in here that redundancy back and forth and whatever else right and um, but they do always use these case studies of this is the one gene one protein out of place or one structure out of place or whatever because they're very simple to understand yeah, and, and I think um, a, go a good kind of case study for that, which, which is relevant and a bit more, I guess, understandable than just those bio biochemical ones would be probably like cystic fibrosis. I think cystic fibrosis is a good case because it's effectively related to a, a molecular defect, which is the cystic fibrosis um, transmembrane conductor or something. See it basically the CFTR gene, which encodes for um a a membrane uh, protein that's involved in the chloride channels and this is uh, you're starting at the molecular level there because you're looking at the, the cftr gene then you're moving to the level of the cell where you're looking at the effect that the or the the absence of chloride channels and then the effect that that has um on cellular function 
Then you're moving to the level of different tissues where, for example, in the lungs, you can get um, excess uh, mucus, for example, as a result of the absence of those chloride channels or defective chloride channels. If you look to the pancreas, you know you've got um, exocrine dysfunction, which effectively means that your pancreas just isn't really uh, secreting the stuff that it should normally. It gets blocked up a little bit because of the defects in those chloride channels. And you're at the levels of tissues and organs then. And then system-wise, you think of, right, the respiratory system, you can say, right, this lung isn't working uh, properly because of these defects in these channels. And as a result, this is leading to compromised oxygenation. We're not getting enough oxygen in. This is affecting all the other systems then. Psychologically, what, what might that do to a person? It might make them, um, you know, feel kind of social dysfunction when it comes to, you know, partaking in sport. That might be a challenge for them. Um, it might mean that they have to make various dietary changes because of the pancreatic dysfunction. Um, at the social level, then, because of the psychological distress, distress, it might mean that they don't partake in sports and, as a result, don't make those friendships that other people might. You know, so you can keep taking it up levels from that low level of analysis to the higher level of analysis. And each one of them matters, you know, um, and, and, and which one you look at depends on the problem you're trying to solve. Like in cystic fibrosis, it's a good example because over the last couple of decades, there's actually been great progress in terms of um, specific medications that have been developed um, and stuff like that. And you'd actually have to be looking at the molecular and cellular level in order to, to solve those types of problems. However, if you're maybe thinking about, for example, whether or not you should prescribe exercise for someone with cystic fibrosis, you actually might be more concerned at the kind of organ and system level, okay? Because what are we trying to do? We're trying to maybe improve someone's cardiorespiratory fitness. And it's not necessarily that we need to solve the problem, of the chloride channels, but we might need to maybe make the heart work a bit better, maybe affect some parameters in the lungs and impact the muscles, which overall has a, a positive system-wide effect for someone with cystic fibrosis. So that's an example of where you have two different levels of analysis. And then if you have someone maybe who has cystic fibrosis, who has been having a real difficult time at school because of not being able to partake in sports, et cetera, a psychologist or a counselor or someone in the school might actually be the best person to deal with those problems. And that person might be looking at the psychological and social level of analysis of that person's health. So overall, you can see how taking it from those different levels, molecular, cell, tissue, organ, system, psychological, social, and environmental how that can actually give you a much better understanding of how different uh, professionals might intervene at different levels of someone's health and how someone might understand their health overall. Because ultimately, if you think about it, at, for the individual, you, you actually don't care or are aware of the molecular and the cellular or the, even the tissue levels. Like for the most part, you're not really aware of what's going on. Like you're not really aware, you, you can't necessarily feel that, but you feel the effects of it. And it's the respiratory distress that leads to you, for example, being um, a bit anxious or psychologically distressed during activity, et cetera. Um, so, so, so it's important to have your level of analysis right before you move on to try to, to solve a particular problem, I think. Yeah, and this is important to understand for uh, multiple reasons, but two I'm going to note here is because it, depending on who you talk to, 
they're going to have a different view on this. They're going to be like, say you come to a biochemist, they're going to be like, let's look at this molecular or cellular level. Let's go, let's see what's going on here. That's what they really care about. And this is, you oftentimes see this where someone who is a scientist, you know, that's their, their job. They will talk about health related topics and they won't actually be, they'll, they'll be talking about mechanisms. They'll be talking about like almost uh, like we call it mechanistic hypothesizing. They're like, oh, we see this mechanism in the body. It does X, Y, Z. That's really beneficial. So we want to encourage that. And it completely ignores everything else. You know, it's like all you're focused on is this cellular or molecular level stuff. And it's not necessarily improving the rest of the stuff. Well, yeah, it might improve the tissue or even the organ, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's contributing to your health. For example, you might see someone, a scientist say, this supplement, you should be taking this supplement and it's really going to improve your health. Like for example, in the health to longevity realm, people talk about uh, NMN or NOR, you know, they're like, take these supplements, they interact with sirtuins and they interact through these few different pathways and they potentially lead to better health. We'll just say better, longer health, right? Those supplements, especially NOR, really expensive. Okay, so first of all, you might be like, okay, I really want this benefit that these guys are hypothesizing about that is shown in like animal cells or animal models or whatever. And you're like, I want those benefits, right? But the cost of it could actually have a much bigger influence on your life because now you're like, okay, well, I'm shelling out, even if it's just whatever, a hundred pounds per month on this stuff. That's still like, uh, 1,200, well, 1,300, depending on how you count a month, uh, pounds per year, right? So that's now money that you're not able to contribute to potentially your pension, potentially contribute to your house, potentially contribute to your children or other tasks, right? Other things that you're like, oh, I want to do that. You can't go on a holiday this year because you just spent a grand and a half <laughs> on a supplement that might not even work, right? So First of all, we have to look at that. Okay, who is giving this information? Are they, are they actually dealing with immediate consequences? Are they actually dealing with people that are, you know, seeing benefits from this stuff? Or are we just at this kind of tissue, molecular, or cellular level where we're like, yeah, we can see some stuff when we pour some stuff on some cells in a Petri dish, right? So that's the first thing. We have to be aware of who we're talking to, okay? And then also, it's really important to understand because... Some of this stuff we have impact over. Some of this stuff we can be like, okay, this is within my individual purview to look after. Some of this stuff, it's in my purview to look after, but unfortunately I've just been dealt a shit card, right? Like you could have a genetic mutation unless we have some sort of gene therapy that can change that. Unfortunately, you just have to deal with that, right? But either way, you are still able to change your habits, change your lifestyle, change whatever to lead to better health, right? But we have to still go back to that and go, well, what does better health mean, right? Again, it goes back to what does better health mean for an individual that doesn't have whatever mutation it is or whatever gene defect or whatever um, versus what health means for someone that is not, doesn't have this, this gene defect, gene mutation, right? Again, we go back to that uh, cystic fibrosis. What health means for someone that has cystic fibrosis might be completely different than what someone means by health when they don't have cystic fibrosis. And they're just like, oh yeah, like health means I'm able to, you know, go out and play football with the lads twice a week or whatever it is. And person with cystic fibrosis means, yeah, my definition of health is not dying this year, you know, like completely different sides of 
a perspective. So we have to be aware of that. So both from an individual perspective, what are we looking at when we do this level of analysis? But then also when we're consuming information, we have to think of, okay, well, what is this person that's giving this information? What level of analysis are they looking at? And what ramifications does that have downstream from that or upstream, depending on how you want to look at it, you know? Check. And I think one other thing to, to add here, which is actually quite useful, is I guess looking beyond the looking beyond the neutral definitions of health. Because I suppose if you look at the neutral definitions of health, like for example, the World Health Organization, um, we've got that complete state of well-being. I guess that's positive. Um, and then you've got health, the ability to adapt and self-manage. Then you've got one that I think is is really interesting to ponder. And that is basically the idea of flourishing. And there's a good paper on this by Vanderveel um, in 2019 and other authors. But effectively, what, what they propose is this understanding of health in terms of flourishing. And that that being, again, that ideal that we're looking for. And the term flourishing used for thousands of years and literally meaning to grow or to prosper represents a powerful way to view health in its fullest sense. That's what they claim, okay? But what do they actually mean? So what they try to do is, you know, put together a number of different domains and they've got questions or statements um, that are flourishing. It's affected their flourishing measure, a flourishing measure. And I'm just going to read out a couple of them because I think it's worth at least pondering these when you're questioning your own health because it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily... Um, always come into to how we think about health. So the first domain is, is happiness, okay? And the question is, overall, how satisfied are you with your life as a whole these days? Then in general, how happy or unhappy do you usually feel? Then mental and physical health. In general, how would you rate your physical health? Now, the one thing I suppose to interject on there is that the really important thing here is that sometimes when you get into these domains of understanding health in terms of flourishing you could actually be overlooking things that are actually detrimental to your health because for example in general how do you rate your physical health like it's not so clear how to reconcile that with the understanding that most of the diseases that are a burden on the healthcare system at the moment are chronic long-term diseases that you don't feel something's really important because you could have high blood pressure and just not know, okay? And it could be a significant threat to your health. And if you just rate how you feel or how you rate your physical health, you might be like, well, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I've never had any issues. But that 160 over 100 blood pressure could be pumping away in the background and putting you at high risk of stroke, okay? So that's that's something that I would just interject on there. Now, the other things that they mention are- I love this as well, to really put that in context. Like if you've never been quote unquote healthy, how the fuck are you supposed to know what that feels like? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like right. if you've just always been, say you have a potential for a 10 out of 10 health and you've just always been at a three, right? How do you know what being healthier feels like? Three for you, you're like, great, I feel fantastic here because, you know, I'm not falling apart, right? That's your best ever. You're most well-rested, et cetera. Is a three out of 10, right? You're dehydrated. You've never exercised. You've done whatever. 
but it's still the best health that you've ever been in, <laughs> you know? So you're like, yeah, I'm in my best health, right? But it's not the best you could potentially be. And this is also further con confounded. And we didn't dig too much into it. We might go back in a second um, in terms of your environment as well plays into this. Because again, if you're at that three out of 10, right? And everyone else around you is also a three out of 10 or potentially a two out of 10, right? They're all a two out of 10. You're going to be like, wow, I'm in fucking fantastic shape. You know, I'm in the best health of my life. Because your context for that, your environment for that is set up in such a way that you're like, oh, these other people have far worse health than me. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have good health. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think a lot of these questions do get at some messy areas. And, and the next one is just how would you rate your, your overall mental health? You know, similar similar issues there the next is meaning and purpose which is something that's interesting and kind of goes back to what i said previously and the questions that they ask are overall to what extent do you feel the things you do in your life are worthwhile and then a statement they make that you agree or disagree with or to a certain degree is i understand my purpose in life okay again like really difficult okay really difficult to try to pin those things down character i always act to promote good in all circumstances even in difficult and challenging situations Again, so difficult because we have to then answer what does it mean to, to promote good? You know, is, is it just personal moral conscience? Um, and is that something that you allow to be influenced by others, by your society? Who taught you your morals? Absolutely. Um, so that, that's, that, that's such a difficult one. But, but I actually think that, like, I'm, I'm saying it's difficult as in it's challenging. I'm not saying that these shouldn't be considered within the framework of health because I absolutely think they should. Um, and I think that as, as healthcare professionals or as people who are concerned about our health, I actually think it's really important to consider that stuff, which is why I mentioned previously that questions around your meaning and purpose in life and, you know, a shared understanding with others and seeing not dehumanizing people and stuff. I think that all that is incredibly important for health. And I think that it should be discussed. So there are other points then I'll just fly through them. I'm always able to give up some happiness now for greater happiness later. Really difficult thing to do, but definitely a mark of maturity, I think. Um, close social relationships. I'm content with my friendships and relationships. My relationships are as satisfying as I would want them to be. And then finally, financial stability. How often do you worry about being able to meet normal monthly living expenses? And how often do you worry about safety, food, or housing? Again, interesting questions, but you have to ask yourself there, you know, are, are they the only things I worry about? Is it just safety, food, or housing? You know, does that vary by the country that you live in? Are they, are they the only needs that you're trying to meet? Because many people would say that, you know, safety, food, or housing are, are very basic needs. And for many people in the West, if they could only meet that, they still might have a lot of anxiety about their financial stability and everything. Whereas if you were to ask, if you were to give someone in a very underdeveloped nation, safety, food and housing, they'd be, you know, totally content. That's what they're fighting for. Okay. So again, social context matters. As you can see, these questions, if you were to go through them, I think they should be used as sort of like a life analysis type of thing where you basically review where you're at, what you need to work on, um, rather than trying to get, come out with some number out the other end saying, you know, I'm 70% healthy or whatever. But look, that, that table, we will include all this in, in the podcast notes so that you can review it anyway. Yeah, just also, you have a question there as well at the end of the flourishing stuff, Gary. So uh, ask it. Which is, where's my question? Um, oh, yes, yes. So uh, yeah, as I said, 
So, oh wait, no, is this the, it may seem esoteric. Yeah. Yeah. So it may seem esoteric, but do you really care as much about your blood glucose reading as you do about how satisfied you're going, you, how satisfied you are going to work each day or the quality time that you spend with your family? Okay. That's something that again, really important to ponder because very often what we do, um, especially those of us who are, you know, in the fitness industry, working in the fitness industry, we'll start to measure all these different things like our blood glucose, heart rate variability, resting heart rate, etc. And we have all of this idea of what's going on in our blood, but we don't know what's going on in our hearts or in the hearts of our family members, you know? And what I mean by that is, you know, like, do, do you really do all of the things that 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 bring you joy and that bring you that kind of that lasting sense of purpose and meaning you know are, are you are you really nourishing those things because sometimes what we can do when we get so hyper focused on on micromanaging our health is that we forget about the more macro things and we can spend so much time trying to measure our blood glucose that we don't spend time with family and that we don't share our meals and and an example of that it's obviously it's such an obvious one that i've seen so much and that is where someone just prepares all their meals, eats all their meals alone and misses out on something so simple as just sharing a meal with your family, which can just be so incredibly valuable. And to be honest, in your early 20s or early in your training career, like some people get into training in their 30s and go through that obsessive phase, it can be very easy to, to focus on all that stuff. I think most people they do come out the other end and realize that maybe some things are more important and they need to find some balance between their very strict diet and, you know, living a more normal lifestyle, eating with their kids or passing on good food practices. The classic example we always talk about in the podcast is, you know, if you, if you're fasting until like 4 PM in the day or 6 PM in the day or whatever, like, is that something you pass on to your kids? Do you want them to see that like not eating standard meals is, is, is a good thing? Is that normal? Like, do you want to pass that on? I'm not so sure. Like not many people would. And that's just something that we begin to ponder. I think as we get a bit older, um, in my old age, now I've begun to realize that at a very, um, <laughs> worn out 26 years of age, <laughs> but yeah, look, it's, it is what it is. That's fair. Yeah. So basically what we're saying at this point is, okay, we can categorize, we can lump things together and we can look at it in terms of like, we'll call it structural or physiological health. And you can be like, chase these different markers, right? Maybe you even go a little bit beyond that and go, okay, let's chase, you know, emotional or what we call a psychological health. We're like, okay, we'll layer that on, right? We can also look at it in terms of environmental health. And what I mean by this is not just like environmental toxins, for example, but I mean, like, how is your environment set up to actually support your health, community, society, you know, your social situation, all of that stuff uh, as well and obviously there's a lot of components to environmental we're not going to get into all of them because again like we could be talking about this from a policy perspective you could might maybe want fantastic health but the policies that are set up in your country or whatever are not conducive to good health but either way that is a component to all of this stuff but there are a few wrinkles that we need to kind of iron out when we're discussing this stuff and we kind of were just touching on it there and the, the flourishing concept really helps you kind of cut through a lot of the noise now i don't think it answers all the questions we would necessarily want it to answer but it helps you really start analyzing this a little bit deeper right for example there is something that we would call well maybe we'll, we'll put it in these terms right like when you're looking at your health a lot of people will look through it in terms or look through it 
to from the lens, I suppose, of I want to maximize the duration of my life. I want to live to 100. You know? That's what I want. But that's not necessarily what you want if it means that you know, you don't feel great. You don't have a great society, like connection with people around you. You don't have your environment set up correctly. You don't have all of these other things and you're just barely hanging on to a hundred years old. Cause you're like, that was the goal. That's what I see as health, a long life, right? Other people will be like, I want to maximize the intensity of my life. Right. And they want to maybe they don't care about trading off a couple of years at the end because they're like, I want to really just get the most out of my health, my body, whatever at this time. For example, you might see people to give those two camps, you might see people in their 20s go on a load of like steroids, a load of different drugs, because they're like, I want to, you know, literally be as big as I want or do all these things, sporting, whatever, all of that. And they're like, right, the intensity of my life, the amount that I'm packing into a single day, a single week, a single year, whatever, you're like, I'm really maximizing that, right? it's hard to say whether which one of those is healthier, whether maximizing the intensity and you're like, this person lives the most vibrant, really full on life, you know, versus the other person that's like, I want to really maximize the duration. And you often see this in the, the health and longevity world where people are like, Oh, I fast for weeks. <laughs> you know, I fast for days. I take different drugs, metformin, rapamycin. They take all these different drugs. And you're like looking at them and be like, they have literally this, grayest skin they look terrible they look like you know they hate life <laughs> they're just cold all the time because their metabolic rate is so low because they're like oh higher metabolism you know you don't want that for a long life and they're doing all these things to extend their life but the intensity you know it's just not there right? It's just not, they're not living vibrantly, right? So we have to look at this in terms of, we actually be pretty clear in terms of our definitions of what we're actually looking to achieve. And it's really hard because there's so many levels of analysis for this stuff, right? Are we looking to add years to our life or are we adding more life to our years, right? And again, a classic example of this is you definitely have met, know someone or vaguely know someone or heard of someone that you know they've basically been surviving on a you know life support machine for the last 10 years of their life you know and it's like their their quality of life was just not there they literally lay in a bed for 10 years you know it's just like they they really didn't see their family they didn't enjoy it they couldn't move they couldn't do x y and z and for some people they might argue and say oh well that person just had a terrible life right they're just you know there's no quality to that life but the thing about it is it's very hard to say whether that person is healthy or not. Now, obviously, if they're on a life support machine, you could be argued that they're probably not in a health, healthful per, uh, position. But that person might just fucking love doing mental arithmetic, you know, and they're literally just sitting there doing the most fascinating, complex in the maths. And they're just like, they're loving life, you know, you don't know. So you cannot make uh, a judgment on that without the full picture. And unfortunately, none of us will ever have the full picture because we didn't create life, <laughs> you know, and we didn't make this stuff, you know? Um, but then also, and you were, you were talking about this before the podcast, like you can view health through this kind of via negativa uh, versus via positiva lens. Um, like take it away. You can, you can probably dive into that a little bit deeper. 
Yeah. So, I mean, like I, I kind of use that, that terminology in a, in a couple of different senses. Um, I initially got it from, from the scene Taleb, the way he talks about um, via, via negativa, but effectively, you know, you could look at the, the via negativa, the via positiva lens in terms of what you take away addition. Through, so addition through subtraction and then via positiva addition through addition. Okay. So for example, via positiva interventions might be things like um, adding in loads of additional drugs to prolong your life. Like you said, you know, metformin, rapamycin, you know, making hypotheses that if you target these specific pathways that it's going to enhance your life. So you're adding in. Going back to that analysis, we're like looking at the cellular, molecular stuff and going, here's a drug, let's take this. Yeah. And so it's always about adding new things. And that's something that you see as... I think at that crossover between healthcare slash functional medicine and especially that kind of um, new tech Silicon Valley type of space, that's where you see a lot of this start to creep in, where it's all about doing more. Like, for example, wearing a continuous glucose monitor to try to hack that, you know, the whole biohacking space. It's all about what we can add, what we can do, what we can change to try to become healthy. Okay. And to some degree that works. Clearly we have to add some things in order to be healthy. An easy example of that would be something like um, polyphenol content in the diet, you know, through olive oil or dark chocolate or blueberries, for example, or even adding, exercise. You might be not exercising now, adding in exercise, boom, hundred percent. And adding these things, um, to your adding, adding poly, polyphenols, for example, or adding exercise, uh, to your life, they have uh, b- benefits ab- above and beyond if you had lived without them. So for example, polyphenols in the diet would be considered non-essential. Okay. They're not part of the essential nutrients. They're not necessary for life, but they have a positive effect when consumed. Okay. So they're adding something else. Same with exercise. You know, an easy example is weight training. It's adding muscle mass above and beyond strength, above and beyond what you'd expect the average person to have if they were to live a normal life. Now, clearly, there's a very, very strong argument for adding things in for the purpose of health. Now, the other side of things is actually simpler, and it's often what we try to target with our clients, because via negativa is actually asking yourself, what's harming me and how can I practice harm reduction? Okay. For example, I live in an area, I I don't, by the way, but let's say someone lives in an area with very poor air quality. If they were to move or the air quality was to be fixed tomorrow, that would be, have a massive impact on their health. They didn't have to spend extra money unless they bought a new house. Um, They didn't have to, you know, add any supplements, add any drugs. They just had to remove something that was harming their life, giving up smoking, giving up alcohol or drinking alcohol less, um, giving up the overconsumption of food, obviously. All these things. Consumption of social media. Yeah, 100% the overconsumption of social media. You know, if you if you get up in the morning and you're scrolling Twitter and you follow all political pages, like that's not good for your health, regardless of your political beliefs, because no one that is like into politics at the moment is like getting joy from political content, unless it's just memes, in which case, please continue. But, you know, for the most part, 
um, if you're scrolling social media for hours and hours per day um, and just consuming, that's generally something that's that's detracting from your health. So if you were to take that away, your health improves via negativa. And not only that, but a lot of the removal of certain harms, like, for example, time spent on harmful activities leads to you being able to allocate that time to something else that's potentially more helpful, which is just fantastic for your health. Another thing, you know, might be you might be in a position in your life where you've been working for 20 years already and you actually just crushed yourself in your 20s. You saved loads of money. You worked 80 hours a week and you might be in a position now where if you were to reduce your working hours to, I don't know, 25 hours a week, you know, and just start reading more in your spare time or take up baking or crochet or whatever, that that would actually be a net positive for your health because you're, you're financially stable. You don't need the money anymore. You're just kind of been it's been a path dependent um, life. You know, you, you, you worked really hard, you got the position and now you're just keeping the position, but you have the option to step down. And if you were to do that, that might give you a better health long term because you're reducing your stress. You're potentially going to sleep more, etc. I'm sure you can think of countless other examples, but very often it's actually those via negativa interventions where you're adding something to your health by subtracting something that's harmful that are the most powerful because you don't you generally don't have to go spending more or adding loads of stuff into your routine. The, the, the place I talk about this most, I think, with clients is when they're talking about stress management. Because some people make stress management just stressful. Like, right, I need you to wake up in the morning and meditate for half an hour. How am I going to find time to meditate for half an hour? You know, and all that's happening is you're just running through your head and everything's more stressful. Okay. Um, or other types of interventions. You know, you'll have these people with elaborate two hour morning routines for stress management, when for most people in the real world, that's just not going to cut it. Okay. Um, whereas if they were to, apply the via negativa approach maybe it might be having a wind down routine at night by not staying up watching netflix or something like that or it might be taking a few hours off work on a friday so they can do something meaningful whatever it happens to be that tends to be more powerful yeah 100 and look there's it's not like we're going to come away from this podcast and be like here's everything we covered absolutely everything you know um but it does it does bear thinking about for you as an individual in terms of what are you aiming for with your health right and then how are you actually going about achieving that are you just thinking of it what can i add to this what can i do what can i do to do more do more here add in here that might be you know you're, you're kind of missing the forest for the trees it's like okay let's do this analysis of your life and go these things are clearly detracting from, from your goals, from what you want to achieve. As a result of that, you're more stressed. You're not sleeping as much. You don't have as deep, meaningful connections with people because you're never really present. You're always on your phone, for example. Like these different things, it's like, okay, you potentially would benefit from just taking away a lot of these things and you would have a much higher quality of life then as well, right? So that's not necessarily going to be shown on a blood panel. So we have to look beyond that, right? But we also have to consider that some individuals, they're not necessarily looking to be average. Some individuals are looking to be the pinnacle of health, right? And there's going to be shades within that. So potentially for an individual just to get into the, the we'll call it the reference ranges for health, although I, again, I don't think markers are necessarily the be all and end all, but let's just say this general reference ranges for health. You know, they're based on averages, right? So if you just want to get into them, yeah, you're in a healthy position, but there's other individuals that want to be like, I am at the best position within those markers. So for them, 
simply removing certain things, maybe it's not going to cut it there. You know, maybe they've already got rid of all of the things that are detracting from their life and they already have their life set up in a way that is, you know, relatively on point for them. Then, yeah, you probably are going to have to add something in, you know, but the thing about it is you kind of have to get the fundamentals done first before you can, you know, upgrade to the, the bonus features, you know, because yeah, you can go get the bonus features now, but if you get the fantastic, you know, stereo system in your car, that's cool. You've bought the stereo, but you don't have a car, you know, like you, you have to do, you have to get the car first. So you have to do the fundamentals. You can't skip ahead with this stuff, you know? Um, <clears throat> so look, there's a few other things that we want to cover in this. I am aware that it's, you know, getting on. Um, the first thing I want to cover is, well, effectively, what our view of health is. So where do we stand with this, Gary? Yeah. So before we get to our definition, what I want to mention quickly is the fact that health doesn't have to be number one. Okay. It doesn't have to be your first priority. There's very valid cases for not prioritizing your health. Okay. And I put that out there as someone who is obsessed with all things health. My whole life is effectively around surrounds is surrounded by things that are related to health, whether it be my medical studies, triage, our work, my own personal exercise, nutrition, clearly I care about a lot. But someone throws a grenade into the kitchen while me and my family are having dinner. I'm going to dive on that shit and be blown to a million pieces of skinny gas all over the kitchen. Okay. Because clearly there's things that are more important. Okay. If, if we're on the London underground at the weekend and there's a suicide bomber standing next to Patty and he's about to get blown up, He's probably going to do it first, but I'm going to, I'm going to hug him or her (laughs) and get absolutely blown to pieces all over the London. Obliterated. Obliterated. Okay. So clearly there's things that are more important than health, whether that be, you know, your own uh, personal idea of honor or sacrifice, or maybe you're a very religious person who would, you know, absolutely be burned at the stake before um, denying your God or something along those lines. Those types of things can absolutely be put ahead of your health. A more simple kind of normal example without having to picture yourself being blown up might be, you know, if a family member became sick and you had to become, you had to take on the responsibility of, of caregiving, for example, um, and that you knew that was going to be a trade-off in health because you might not have time to train and you're not going to sleep well, you have to be looking after them. You're willing to accept that trade-off because health for you or feeling good every day is not necessarily more of a priority than looking after those that you love. Obviously, parents know this, okay? They they make massive sacrifices to their own health for the purpose of their children. So clearly, it's not just about taking health and making your whole life about your own health, because that can sometimes have the opposite effect long-term. If you've become too selfish long-term, too self-centered, you might miss out on some things that are protective later in life. So that's just the first thing. I'm sure you agree. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, so th- with regards to how we think about health, clearly we've made a lot of this f- fairly explicit so far. Um, but I'm just looking for your, your little definition that you wrote out here, Patty. Oh yeah, how we view health. So this is effectively a, a very simple way that you can see is influenced by the previous definitions, but health is resilience to and against insults to your life and well-being. 
I love that because the resilience element, it goes back to the previous definition from Huber and colleagues, which was the ability to adapt and self-manage and the resilience to and against insults to your life and well-being, those insults potentially being psychological, potentially being um, your, your lipid profile or your blood pressure, et cetera. It's that you're resilient to and against those insults. So resilience doesn't necessarily, like resilience sometimes has the connotation of um, just grinning and bearing it, you know, and, and just be, being tough and, and not dealing with it. But being resilient to a health insult might also be, right, I'm going to get myself to the hospital. I'm going to get this uh, wound dressed. I'm going to get this fracture, you know, set in place and casted. And now I'm good. I'm resilient. I'm, I'm ready to go again. You know, it's not about you never getting any sort of illness or any sort of um, injury. It's that you're resilient to it. And I think that the, the important thing there long term is that if you've developed, I guess, what you might call a reserve of resilience through physical activity, strength training, good nutrition over the years, then you've got that capacity that if you do get, let's say, a chest infection and you're hospitalized for two weeks and you're bed bound, you come out of that better off than someone else who hadn't trained and eaten like you did for, for all those years because you've effectively got that reserve. Okay, If you lose 10% of your muscle mass, it's not a big of a hit. So you're resilient to that insult because of those healthy practices over all of those years, you know, um, there's many other examples. I'm sure that, that you could think of, for example, the fact that let's say it doesn't even have to be, um, muscle mass specific, because one of the things that you do see as well is that as people get quite old, like in their eighties, for example, like being frail is probably more of a problem than being obese. Okay. It's not always the case, but if you go to the hospital and you've actually got some spare body fat that actually gives you resilience to losing body weight rather than becoming severely malnourished. So again, that's an example of, of how one might be resilient and how your idea of health might actually need to vary across the lifespan as well. You know, I think that that's something that the, the, the lay person often identifies. You know, my parents will often say, you know, ah, he, do, he doesn't look well for, for a man of his age. Like my, the classic one is like a man in his 50s or 60s um, my parents will make a judgment at, the, at this, like my mom in particular, if, if a man in his 50s or 60s is like real frail and gaunt, that doesn't have the same positive um, connotation as someone who's maybe in their 20s or 30s and real lean. OK, it's kind of a bit different. And, and that's partially partially true from a health perspective, because that person's pushing into that stage of their life where they're already naturally moving, losing muscle mass. If they had a bit, a bit of extra body fat, it might actually be beneficial for them because they have the potential to lose weight as they age. So, you know, my mom might say, oh, you know, it'd be nice if he had a, a fuller face now and, a, you know, a bit of a, a bit of strength to him, you know, she might necessarily know what, what exactly she, she means in terms of like the, the health statistics and stuff, but there's truth there. And that's why we, we don't want people getting too frail when they get older. Um, so yeah, that gives you resilience. I'm sure there's other examples. Yeah. Like with resilience, I always think of it as well. And this is why I, I chose those words carefully for this. I always think of it in terms of First of all, there's a, an inherent building quality to resilience, you know, yeah. like you're resilient to future insults, you know, it's like what you're accomplishing now is helping you build towards being more resilient in the future. So I, I really like the word resilience, but obviously, again, like words shift over time and, you know, people have different 
you know, uh, context for the word, right? But I also feel with the, the word resilient, um, the way we phrase it there in terms of resilient to and against insults to your life and well-being, like this could be, again, like as you said, physical, psychological, social, whatever. But if you had someone that approached a problem with a resilient mindset, in my mind, at least, that means they're approaching that with, first of all, a level head, but also a lack of fear. And I don't mean just like a complete lack of fear, no regard for, for their own health or their own safety or whatever. But what I mean is like, they are coming to this going, okay, well, whatever happens, I will deal with it. You know, I'm resilient to what's happening. For example, like you've seen this all the time with the, the last two years of COVID, people will be extremely scared of COVID and other people will be extremely scared of the vaccine. You know, whereas a resilient person would be like, I'm not necessarily scared of COVID because I, you know, exercise, I eat well, I'm young, fit, etc. And I'm not necessarily scared of the vaccine because, you know, I, I don't think big pharma is going to inject me with a whatever, right? Or, you know, I don't think the vaccine is going to kill me. Like I got COVID and I got the vaccine and neither were an issue, right? So I'm coming from the context of having both. <laughs> um, so, you know what I mean? So it's like, that's a resilient person. Now, the the thing about the resilience is it is an attitude as much as it is an actual expression. And what I mean by that is, look, you could get COVID using that same analogy that I was just using and you could get COVID and have a fucking awful time of it. You know, like it's killed people, right? You could also get the vaccine and have a vaccine injury. You know, like I know a guy who had a stroke directly after the vaccine, you know? So it's like th these things happen. Right. Yep. But the guy coming into that with the resilient mindset goes, okay, I'm going to deal with this, whatever comes my way. And then I'm going to build for the future off of that. Right. So I really like, again, the word resilience. Um, and I think it fits in nicely with that overall the definition in terms of health is resilience to and against insults to your life and well being. And again, with that kind of insults to your life and well being, this is important to understand. And we're going to finish the podcast here just talking about some of the determinants of health. But this is also relevant to future discussions when we talk about um, you know, the different things that kill people, right? Because people have a very hard time understanding that this is more important to focus on because maybe it doesn't kill them straight away. But also, that means that some things do kill you straight away. For example, as we discussed you know, a couple of episodes ago, I believe, um, for death statistics um, in your 20s and 30s, one of the highest things that can kill you is like interpersonal violence, right? So if you're going to be resilient to and against insults to your life, we're not just looking at diseases. We're not just looking at this, you know, virus that's in, in the air or the water or whatever. We're going, okay, well, other humans could kill you, right? Or cars could kill you, right? So how do we, how do we deal with that? How do you become more resilient to that how do you protect yourself from that in the future you know so it kind of is nicely all encompassing now obviously look i'm an idiot gary's an idiot i just came up with this definition i think it with you know fits nicely gary likes it but i'm sure someone out there could pick that apart and be like no this is not this is yeah look you've missed this blah 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 right but that's not the point of it we have to actually deal with clients we have to deal with people in front of us and when we talk about these kind of three pillars that we often talk about with all this health and fitness stuff you know we've got health we've got performance we've got body composition right so if this is one of the three pillars here that i'm talking about with clients Every time I talk to a client, pretty much like we have to have some sort of working definition for that, that, you know, allows us to look at um, what we're doing and how we should go about achieving 
the overall goals, right? Um, do you have anything to add on to that, Gary? No, no, that's all good. Fantastic, right? So I just want to finish this on just a quick overview of the, the few different determinants of health that are often cited. We've gone through quite a lot of them already in terms of the different stuff that we've covered, and we will definitely be covering these uh, again in the future, right? But there's a few that are often cited, and I'm going to go through these purely because you'll see that a lot of this stuff is within your control, but you'll also see that a lot of this stuff is outside of your control, right? And it does all impact on your actual health at the end of it, right? So the first thing is income and social status, right? Now, parts of that are inside your control. A lot of it is outside your control as well. So, you know, we have to be aware of that, that it influences your health. 100% does, right? Social support networks. Again, some of that's inside your control. Some of it's not, you know, like if people just don't like you for whatever reason, like you're, I don't know, an untouchable in Indian society or something, it's like, you know, you don't even exactly have this great social support network, right? And your education and literacy, like that literally can directly kill you. You can have poor reading comprehension skills, read something wrong, take too many pills and die on the spot, <laughs> you know? Um, so that kind of stuff is important, you know, or road work ahead and you just blast out into traffic because you can't read, you know? Um, employment, working conditions, again, they impact on your health. This is obviously relevant. Like you definitely will see this uh, throughout your career in medicine as well, Gary, you know, it's like your employment working conditions, you're basically sacrificing some of your health as a doctor to benefit others, you know? So again, you might not be thinking of it in terms of like, yeah, you work in a coal mine, obviously your working conditions are not going to be conducive to health, but it's also in every other career as well. Like you could be a pilot and you've got this circadian shifting all over the place. You know, you're also exposed to radiation up there because, you know, there's less, uh, Ozone, ozone, what am I saying? There's less air basically up there, you know, less protective uh, stuff between you and the sun, you know? So different things like that we have to be aware of, right? Your social environments, like do you socialize? You might just be someone that's a very common thing. Like I live in London, so I see this all the time. People will literally go to work. And nowadays it's a lot of work from home. And then all they do is watch TV afterwards. You know, it's like that you didn't socialize with another human that entire day, you know, uh, your physical environments, what are they like? Obviously that's important for your health, personal health practices and coping skills. And that's a lot of the stuff that we focus on with our coaching in terms of like, let's get your personal health practices in a good place, coping skills that kind of goes along with the, the coaching process itself. A lot of that is also outside of our scope in terms of you might need psychological support and um, healthy childhood development. Again, you're kind of fucking shafted if you just had a poor childhood development. Like, and a lot of that is just completely out of your control. Like you were just born into a certain circumstance, you know, your biology, your genetics. And again, we talk about that. You might have it like a single point mutation. And now all of a, all of a sudden you have this inborn error of metabolism that, you know, completely changes your whole life. Like, again, like we said, briefly touched on it, that fetal, phenol ketonuria, like you might have that and now you're not able to have any fetal alanine, right? And you might be like, oh, that's fine. But that now influences a whole host of other things in your life. Okay, yeah, you can get it under control, but now you're never able to have like a Coca-Cola. <laughs> you know, you have to look at the different food sources that you have. You probably eat a lower protein diet. So maybe you're not able to build the muscle mass you want to. Maybe you don't reach higher levels of growth in childhood because protein intake is you know very highly co correlated with childhood growth. 
So all these other things, you know, um, and that's just a single point mutation, right? Healthcare services, what are they like in your area? What are they like in your country, etc. right? Your gender, this stuff does influence your health. It's a determinant of your health for a variety of reasons. Again, we'll talk about them in the future, your culture itself, right? Again, you might come from this real macho culture that goes, I'm never going to go to a doctor. I'm not going to go see a doctor about whatever health issue. And I was a result of that you have poor health outcomes because you never actually got anything tested. <laughs> you know, you never actually interacted, even though you should have. You're like, oh, this mole on my arm, you know, it's looking a bit uh, all over the place. It's been growing and it has no defined edges. And you're like, nah, it's grand. You know, like uh, someone that cares about their health would go to a doctor about that, right? So a lot of those practices, as you can see, they're outside of your control as an individual, but there are also a huge amount of things that are inside your control as an individual, right? And, and we will, this will become really apparent and really obvious when we do go through the different, you know, things that humans die of, right? Because that really brings us home in terms of, oh, there are some things that are really protective that we can do and, you know, are relatively free a lot of times that'll really profoundly influence our health, right? And this is why we generally like focus on sleep, nutrition, exercise, and stress management as our foundational, like these are the things that we care about, right? And if you go through the last like two years or whatever of the podcast, that's what you'll see us talk about. You're like sleep, nutrition, exercise, stress management. We constantly come back to them and we're going to keep coming back to them for the next 10 years as well, right? Because they're so foundational for your health. And again, you can get really esoteric and look at these different things, this molecular pathway or whatever. But if you don't have those like four foundational pillars, we'll call them sorted, it's kind of irrelevant, you know? You need to get those lifestyle practices in place, right? And they kind of need to be in place first, well, I, that's not necessarily true before you can really start encompassing all the other stuff in terms of your relationships with others. Right. And I've said this before, but you know, if you're starving, you're literally hungry, you're cranky, you probably don't have the best uh, relationship with other people as a result of that. So that's impacted by our nutrition, but it's also impacted by our sleep. If you just underslept chronically, you're not giving the most to those different like social events, socializing your friendships, you know, your, potential love interest, whatever it is, right? So it comes back to looking after yourself so that you can really start to get all the other determinants of health in place. And you can really start to get a broader view of the analysis because it's like a, on a plane, if you have a child with you, they always say, put on your mask first. The reason is because, yeah, you can be fumbling away, putting on your child's mask, not get it on. And then the two of you die because you're not breathing they're not breathing because you didn't get their mask on properly. You weren't able to re-secure their mask when they ripped it off because they're a fucking child. And that's what children do. And so you need to get your mask sorted first. And it's the same with this. Once you get yourself sorted, you get these fundamental, you know, pillars, sleep, nutrition, exercise, stress management, you get them sorted. And now you're able to tackle all of the other stuff, all of the other determinants of health, and also all of the different levels of analysis we could go through, right? So do you mind to add to that, Gary? And if not, wrap us up. No, I think that just about covers it all. And as you said, we'll be back again with further discussions, um, specifically those related to, you know, what health conditions and diseases you should be concerned about. And I guess more specific practices or, or protective factors there so as we said at the beginning of the podcast guys make sure that you're subscribed to our email list and also part of the free facebook group again it's free no catches free information beneficial information if you care about your health 
you're likely to benefit. We do also put out free information on social media. So make sure that you follow us on Instagram, Triage Method. You can also follow the Triage Method YouTube channel. You'll see excerpts from the podcast on our YouTube channel, which is really helpful. Some people don't have enough time to watch full episodes or listen to full episodes. So we've gotten great feedback on some of the snippets that we've been putting out that have, you know, allowed people to focus on the things they want to get from the podcast a bit more. So that's useful. Of course, if you'd like more specific guidance, we do have coaching spaces available. We've got a full team of excellent coaches, all of whom have spaces available at the moment. So if you'd like full nutrition coaching, full training and nutrition coaching, you'd like to focus on um, training in the presence of pain or injury, any of those types of problems, we help clients through that. So you can get in touch. The information will be in the description box below. And also one final thing is that on Spotify now, Spotify do ratings, Just they just added them recently. So if you would be so kind, because I know a lot of people listen on, on Spotify, what you could do is uh, leave a five-star review. That'll be fantastic. Okay, that's what we want to see, that five-star, not that 4.2 or 4.3 or something like that. We want to see that those five stars. So give us a review there. That'll be fantastic. Um, and, and we promise a lot of very, very valuable content on the podcast in 2022. All right. Enjoy yourself, guys. <laughs>